It's the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering us to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host, Speedway. Well, hi there, and welcome to the Speedway Show. Today, we are uh, going to have the second installation of our topic, Smoke Out the Con Artist. And this is the Smoke Out the Con Artist 2. So uh, if you missed it, I would encourage you to visit Speedway.com and listen to the very first installation of this topic that we had because I have here today my returning guest, Monique Burt. And Monique is a member of the staffing industry. And first time I've ever had somebody from that industry come and visit. You may know if you've been following the Speedway show that we have had a career series this year like uh, we haven't had in years past. And it started with a friend of mine who said something to me once upon a time, and it was simple. She said, I hate my job. And I thought, oh, that's a funny thing because I've heard a lot of people say that. (laughs) And so that launched a series where we talked about, you know, what to do if you hate your job. And uh, I did a show on job hunting, still job hunting, uh, three critical interview questions, what does every interviewer want to know. Uh, I did a show on mailing that interview. And all of those shows were focused on the interview week. Today we're talking about interviewing from the perspective of the interview work. And I'm guessing that, uh, you know, a lot of people don't talk about that because the focus is so often on the person who's going in for the interview who wants the job. But, you know, what does life look like from the perspective of the person who's actually doing the interviewing? Um, I I went on and on the last time about my good friend Monique and uh, how much I love Monique. Because uh, Monique is actually the person who got me my, um, not this job, but the the job before this one. And uh, it was because she and I were at dinner. Um, I think you remember this. We were at dinner. And she all of a sudden started this interrogation about, so what do you do anyway? So what's your background? Did you, weren't you in house at some point? Because I was at a firm at the time. So we had this conversation and she said, you know, I have a client that I think you'd be a really good fit for. And I was like, oh, money, please, it's a recession. I don't want to be, you know, the the last in, first out. I read all this stuff in magazines about especially minority lawyers, right, who go into these fantastic jobs and then they go running in, and then one day there's a downturn, and they get kicked out. I'm not switching. And uh, Monique was like, well, can I tell you about this job anyway? And I said, well, okay, fine. And then she started listing all the countries where I'd be able to go, and I thought, ooh, I got family members there. And she started talking about all the different states where this company had offices, and I thought, oh, I got cousins there. <laughs> and then finally she said, and this is how much the job would pay. And I said, well, Monique. <laughs> I suppose <laughs> I'll go talk to him. And uh, so that was all she wrote because next thing I know, I got the job. So I am, uh, I am very affectionately uh, in love with my friend Monique because we're in Upper Monique. I would not live in Chicago today. Because, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes things happen where 
one thing leads to another thing. So because I worked for that medical device company in St. Paul, Minnesota, I was invited to move to their sister company here in Chicago. I live Chicago. And because I knew Monique, I got to live in the apartment complex where Monique used to live before when I came to visit her years ago. And uh, so this has been a, a, a lovely friendship and very fruitful for me. But on top of that, I have always found Monique to be just extremely good at what she does and the consummate professional and and in addition to being just a wonderful, wonderful friend. So today I am just so delighted to introduce my very good friend um, who actually doesn't need to talk to me. Thank you. Again, with the soundtrack, I love the Japan. So thank you so much, Judith. It's so sweet of you. And, you know, I, I will say that I have worked with countless, countless candidates. And um, I remember uh, Seaway preparing for her interview, her first interview with my client. And I don't know, and this is the honest to God's truth, I don't know that I have ever worked with a more prepared, creative um just truly poised candidate. So I had no fear going, with you going into that interview that you were going to wow them, and she certainly did. And I just have gotten feedback on you that's been just absolutely phenomenal. So these are the types of candidates that I love to work with. I can certainly tell stories about uh, the complete opposite. And so uh, I'm so pleased with, with Speedway's the progression of her career, and so pleased that she's happy here in Chicago. We're so pleased to have her here. And, uh, yeah, it just worked out all the way around. So I am very, very fond of Ms. Bway as well. So thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about your role. Um, so I, I said this in the first show, and for those of you who missed it, Monique manages strategic development throughout the Midwest for the Law Division of Kelly Services Outsourcing and Consulting Group. Very, if it sounds important and absolute why, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> Her experience includes consulting with law firms and corporate legal departments to create custom solutions to complex discovery and workforce augmentation challenges. So translate that for us into plain English. What do you do? <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of words for what I do. Um, I help law firms and law departments. That's really the easiest way that I can describe it. So, um, you know, on the one hand, I create very large teams of attorneys to help my clients tackle huge volumes of discovery documents that need to be produced in the course of litigation. Um, I help clients create workforce policies and procedures. I hire people. Unfortunately, I fire people. Um, <laughs> I provide, yeah, I provide a legal workforce coaching and counseling on such things as professional ethics and client development. Um, I've recently begun writing articles. And I'm just generally a resource to uh, various legal communities throughout the country, particularly in the Midwest, at least I try to be. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I'm just here to be a resource for all kinds of challenges that law firms and corporate law departments can encounter. So the reason we got started with this topic was because um, Monique, you were sharing with me, you shared with me an article called Your 3 O'Clock is Here, a five-minute approach to interview prep. And um, I encourage you, if you missed the first generation, go listen to it. 
um, because it's, it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal observation that Monique made that led to her writing this article. There is a link to the article on speedway.com, and uh, you, can, you too can read it for yourself. Uh, but from the perspective of the interviewer, there is a lot that can go wrong. So forget about all the screw-ups you can make as an interview candidate. Um, but interviewers probably spend a lot less time thinking about how to get interviewing right. One of the things that you said uh, when you and I were talking about this show in preparation was something I thought was just blasphemous. <laughs> and uh, among the tips that you share is this idea of banning resumes from the interview room. And um, I had a, I had a, just a, a, a visceral immediate reaction to that, which sounded because I was thinking, what else are we going to talk about if we're not going to talk about uh, if I'm not going to if I'm not going to use the resume as a crutch, then that means I have to sit there and look at those candidates and and ask you know perhaps more intelligent things, and and it also requires that I have actually read this resume before I go into the resume room, otherwise you know. <laughs> and so the questions I have is to this very loaded and um, controversial statement, uh, why do you suggest that we ban resumes from the interview room and what do we do instead? So it is sort of a scary idea to not have this, and you, you really use the right word here, they're crutches. Resumes are crutches in interviews, and I would just con I would consider banning all resumes from your interview rooms. I think that resumes can actually be quite distracting in an interview, both for you and for your candidate. And you know, I think you you really run the risk of forcing prospects to compete against a piece of paper for your eye contact and attention. And truly, you know, while you're scanning this piece of paper for data, you're you're missing certain context clues and telltale body language uh, that these candidates are, are really going to, um, they're going to be exhibiting, and, and you're going to miss that, and, and I don't want you to miss that. And so the whole point of the in-person interview is to engage with your candidate, not read about them. Um, it motivates you, as Steve was saying, really. You, without, without the resume there as a crutch, you're motivated to develop and really think about intelligent, timely, relevant questions um, that pertain to the particular position as opposed to having this candidate regurgitate something that he or she wrote um, for themselves. And so really, what, what purpose does that serve? Now, I'm not suggesting by any stretch that you shouldn't use resumes as a precursor to interviews. And I certainly would suggest that you review resumes after you have met with your candidate. But if you think about it, you know, the resume is probably pretty good because the candidate would not be sitting in front of you if they had not submitted it to you and they, they hadn't gone through, you know, sort of a primary screening process. So put the resumes away. I would suggest that you also um, advise your, your candidates to put their resumes away. Now, that another thing that that will do, and, I, and I'm not suggesting that you sort of scare candidates. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Don't, don't scare them. But, you know, one of the things that Seaway and I were talking about is just how unpredictable firm life can be and how unpredictable a workforce can be on a day-to-day -day basis. And so one of the things you want to really take notice of is 
you know, how that person's going to react when you say, you know what, put that resume away for me and let's just have a talk. And you want to see sort of if the person starts sweating or, you know, if the person gets a little fidgety or if the person sort of relaxes a little bit in your presence and truly invites, you know, the, the one-on-one engagement. So that's my suggestion. Stop using these resumes in the interview room. Just talk to people, and I think you'll learn a lot more about their candidacy that way. I confess that I kind of enjoy torturing uh, candidates when I interview. And part of the reason I do that is because I work very close to the top of the organization. And so all of my clients, um, most of them are going to be directors, vice presidents, the president, the CEO. And so I am really interested in understanding how this person is going to respond if they are confronted, if they are interrupted, if they are redirected. And so I will oftentimes watch. And and part of what I'm also thinking is, how is this person going to come across? Because I work with a lot of engineers. And a lot of a lot of them have very, they're incredibly bright, but they're very introverted types. And so I can't just hire anybody because if I if I have the wrong personality, it'll just totally rub some of these guys the wrong way. And I remember actually making a decision on a candidate who was a great candidate, great on paper, resume was fantastic. Candidate said all the right things, except when we sat down and we had the conversation, he was just really wound up and he was just intense. And he would just kind of stare a hole into you. And um so when you talk to him, if I had been looking at the resume the whole time, I might have missed the fact that this guy was sort of leaning over towards me and he was like looking like, you know, the eyes were laser beams. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, no, this will not work at all. <laughs> and so I, 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 do, I do have to say the idea of really paying attention to the person in front of you and in particular looking at the body language. And, and listening not just for what is said, but what is not said is actually very, very useful. One of the other things that you suggest is not asking the typical interview questions, like, what are your greatest strengths? And I have to laugh because I am almost positive that in one of the shows that I did on interviewing, that's exactly what I said people should ask. And I ask it all the time. And I thought it was a brilliant question until Monique said, mm, no, not so much. So um, why would you suggest against asking what seems to be such a tried and true and, and in my opinion, just absolutely perfect question? Well, I will say that one of the most important things for an interviewer is also for you to feel comfortable in the interview. So if you love that question, Anyway, ask that question until you're blue in the face. Um, but I will say that the second tip in my article is to create five customized interview questions of your own. And here's my rationale. So let's think about it. Most candidates will have already prepared these canned responses, right, to really predictable interview questions. They usually come from a book. And that's what I say all the time. Listen, this is textbook, right? So they're preparing for something that they already know is coming. Um, that's weird because that's not real life and that's not how things work at work. So um, 
in saying that, I think that most hiring managers already know what prospects are going to say long before a response is even uttered. So, well, that's right. So, you know, like I said, firm life, work life is anything but predictable. So I think it's important to gauge a potential employee's ability to think on his or her feet. Um, so some of the things that I talk about in the article, you know, as an alternative to asking the where do you see yourself in five years question, um, why not generally, generally ask them what they've learned over the past five years and how they will apply those lessons to the next five years of their lives. So, again, it's just a little bit um, you're massaging sort of a, a general question, a typical question, but you're tweaking it just enough to sort of um, – allow the candidate to think about actual times in his or her life and then apply that to what his or her life is going to look like um, in the future. Um, I just think that creating your own list of interview questions will really go a long way in identifying talent that is the right fit for your firm. And Speedway, you'll recall that you and I just kind of chatted the other day um, about, Speedway asked a really good question. She said, well, shouldn't I want to be impressed? You know, and these questions have sort of been formulated so that these candidates can impress me. Shouldn't I want to be impressed? And the answer is absolutely. And one of the things that we talked about in the former installment was that I think it's our job nowadays as this market tightens up to also sort of be in the impressing business if we really want to attract Mm -hmm. candidates who are going to be there for the long haul. So creating your own questions, I think, really gives you a little bit more control um, over that particular interview and more control in hiring a really nice personality and skill set fit for your company. What is or what are the biggest or most common mistakes interviewers make? Not taking the five-minute approach to interview prep. (laughs) Waiting until the last minute. That's the biggest mistake I've seen people make. Prepare already. Um, that, that's number one, right? I guess number two, um, and you touched on this, is really um, not paying attention to what isn't said. People say a lot of stuff in interviews, and we talk about something called the best foot forward syndrome. You're meeting just as much as in dating. You're meeting a representative and a very uh, well-prepared representative. Um, and so one of the things that I think is very telling, too, sometimes people can prepare their little hearts out and still come in and wreak havoc on an interview. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean that the person is a wrong fit for the position. No, it doesn't. It doesn't, and here's why. This is why I say shake things up a little bit. You have to, maybe there is a candidate that is a fantastic candidate that's going to be there. In terms of work ethic, you'll probably never find a harder working candidate. But, take away some of the traditional barriers to interviewing and, you know, make people a little bit more comfortable in your presence. Definitely you should be most comfortable in your own presence. That means you've got to prepare um, yourself. But if you find that this person is just completely bombing an interview, um, it makes sense to just sort of have everybody take a step back, relax, take a deep breath, and figure out what's going on there. Now, after your best efforts have been made and you still find that this person is just not a good fit, end the interview. By all means, put the person out of their misery. Take yourself um, out of that ridiculous situation and, and truly, you know, spend your time um, 
and theirs towards something that's going to be more productive. But I do. I think that the most important thing for people to do is prepare a little bit, chunk by chunk, day by day, and to listen to the things that are not being said um, in addition to the things that are. Sometimes the things that are not said are kind of glaring. I remember having an interview where I asked what I thought was a simple question. And I was asking somebody about the volume of contracts they typically reviewed because that's the job I was hiring for. And I said, so what's typically your throughput? I'm expecting a number. And I got five minutes of explanation and no number. And so I thought, oh, maybe I wasn't clear. So I asked again. How many contracts do you typically have in your pipeline? I thought that was clear. I got another five minutes, and I thought, and, and still no answer. And um, I listened, I listened. It wasn't said, so finally I gave up. So then Dorothy, who is my contract manager who was interviewing with me, um, thought she would take a step. So she asked the question. So now we've asked the same candidate three times, and we finally got an answer, and it was so unimpressive. I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> So, so it, it it is important, I think, to listen for what's not said. And 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 in the end, as as Martin on the Martin Show would have said, you know, sometimes you just gotta say, get the stepping. Yeah. <laughs> close the door and call it a day. <laughs> so, what suggestions, Monique, do you have for anyone who has to choose? Whether it's a job candidate or a service provider or a nanny and you know nannies and 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 um, um, childcare providers are near and dear to my heart because I've got children and owners of children care very much about who takes care of their babies. So, what suggestions do you have for all of those people out there who have to make these really difficult decisions? I think that it's so important for you to know what you want uh, before you interview anyone as opposed to just hoping you'll see what you want once you start meeting people. So truly just taking the time to really figure out what and who you want to bring into your life um, and, you know, really don't settle. Um, don't settle, especially these are very important things. I mean, we're talking about children here. We're talking about the people that you're probably going to be spending most, if not almost all of your time with, um, you know, colleagues and, to your point, child care providers, and, and we mentioned financial advisors in the first segment. These are really important decisions, and so it really isn't enough just to sort of Google somebody. It really isn't enough to you know, just, you know, meet them for coffee and come up with things off the top of your head. Take some time and think about what sort of person you want in your surroundings, what sort of a colleague you would want to have, and really what sort of a reputation you want to maintain. Because at the end of the day, these are your decisions and they reflect just as much on you as they do on the candidate that you've selected. So just be careful. And tell us a little bit more as we are wrapping up our show about your clients typically. So I considered, you know, when I was looking for somebody to bring to talk about this, I wanted an industry leader, an industry expert, and that's why I chose Monique. Um, So talk to us a little bit about who your clients are typically and what kind of organization would be most often looking for your services. So if we're talking about workforce augmentation services, really that just means um, my sort of target clients are 
senior counsel, um, deputy general counsels and corporations, GCs. Um, we have placed some GCs. We have placed deputy general counsels. Um, and in the law firm setting, it's truly um, anyone. You know, I've worked, some of my clients include paralegal managers um, or office administrators. My primary clients within law firms are usually senior associates who have large, large volumes um, of documents that need to be reviewed. Um, you know, when it comes to coaching and counseling services, that's a different prong of our, our service offering. So I will coach uh, young associates in client development and revenue generation. That's really just not something that's taught in law school. So if you have an associate that's, you know, entering a firm, they don't necessarily know how to bring in clients or develop business, and so that's another service that I offer. Um, and then just in terms of sort of coaching and counseling people in the legal industry and just general workforce practitioners as well, if you need advice on, you know, what, how to navigate a certain situation in your company, if you have sort of a difficult coworker that you have to figure out how to work with, things like that, those are services that we offer as well. Again, primarily for law firms and corporate law departments, but um, if you are a friend of Speedways, you are a friend of mine. So if you have any questions ever about any of these things or if you need any assistance with sort of creating your own um, interview questions or even if you just have a workforce augmentation question, um, you would be on my client target list. Okay. Well, this brings us to the end of our show. I am going to thank you, Monique, again. And I do believe that you have written other articles on other topics and you've got articles in the making for other topics as well. Tell us, give us a sense for either topics that you have out there now or topics that you are um, working on. So, um, I, I will definitely provide you with links for previous um, topics, but some of the things that I'm thinking about now, um, there's one article I'm working on that I'm thinking about calling Little Black Parachute, and it specifically speaks to workforce issues that women tend to deal with um, nowadays, and of course it's a play on words for Little Black Dress. So. Yeah, so so I, I'm working on that right now. I also will be working on, I think, a series of articles that have to do with um, diversity training and retention and recruitment um, for law firms in particular. That's certainly something that is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, so I'll be I'll be focusing on those topics as well. So stay tuned. All right, Monique, thank you very much for being a guest on my show. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Visit speedway.com for links to all things Monique on this particular episode as well as the first one where we talked about smoking out that con artist that you don't want in your office, in your home, with your children, etc. So until next week, join me for another exhilarating and riveting topic. This is BYU saying go in peace and nail those interviews. Thank you for joining us on the Speedway Show. Visit thespeedwayshow.com for content and other episodes. Join the fan page at facebook.com slash thespeedwayshow. And follow Speedway on Twitter at the handle thespeedwayshow. Until next week, live well, live fully, and love deeply.